You've come up with a brilliant cookbook idea. Now you need to figure out how to get it published. For many authors, this means finding an agent. Welcome to Everything Cookbooks, the bookish podcast for curious writers, readers, and cooks. I'm Molly Stevens, joined by my co-hosts, Kate Leahy, Kristen Donnelly, and Andrea Nguyen. In today's episode, we're going to talk about literary agents, about how they may help you to navigate the book publishing process. In general terms, an agent's role is to sell your book idea to a publishing house while looking out for your best interests. Most agents take a 15% commission on any money earned, but in exchange, they act as your advocate, your guide, your sounding board during the proposal process and on into the book writing and production process. So what better way to start our discussion than to listen to a recent conversation I had with Rika Alanique, a book agent who also worked for years as a high-profile cookbook editor. Rika currently works at the David Black Literary Agency in New York City, and I was thrilled she agreed to talk with me about the role agents play in the cookbook writing process. Hi, Rika. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Rika, I want to start by asking about your experience, especially with first-time authors, both as an acquisition editor, in other words, someone who signs on new authors, and now as a literary agent. Can you tell us about some of the qualities that you look for when scouting a new author? And how often are you proactively looking for new voices, new talent, or are you more likely to be responding to inquiries that come across your desk? I look for the same thing now as an agent as I did as an editor, and those three things for me are the idea, the voice, and the platform. Sometimes some of those parts are stronger than other parts, but um, you need at least a couple of them to to have a successful proposal, I think, one that has a shot um, at being published and being an excellent book. I am proactively going after folks all the time. Um, That is the majority of my client list. It's made up of folks I have gone after. Right. As opposed to getting inquiries. I've taken very few that have been unsolicited queries. Very few. Yeah. I think the platform thing is something that we we all talk a lot about. And it seems like that's changed more than any of those idea and voice. I mean, when I got into the business, I mean, platform was still a thing, but idea and voice kind of reign supreme. And now platform is very big and I mean, do you think it can be overcome if someone has a very small platform? I think if the idea is incredibly strong and unique um, and the voice is also strong and opinionated and expert, yes, especially for a single subject book, sometimes that can be overcome. Obviously, it's nice when someone comes with a built-in following of some sort, whether that's, you know, social media or you know, a column in something national or some sort of TV presence, but it could also be uh, successful online cooking classes or a thriving home bakery, for example. Um, There are other ways to find experts and channel someone's expertise into a book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's interesting. It sort of leads to another question I wanted to, you know, we call it the chicken and the egg. 
what comes first for a first-time author? You know, you're looking for someone who has something, a burning book that they really need to write or focus on finding the right agent and then crafting a proposal together. It, it is definitely chicken and egg. I mean, my answer would be yes. Right. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think for me, I prefer to see something on the page to react to. If the idea isn't quite there, but the voice is really strong and the recipes are really appealing, I can help, you know, noodle around in there and try and tweak things with the author. It's harder for me to go just on an idea. I'm probably more likely to be less enthusiastic if it's just the idea. Right. Plus, I guess if it's a proposal or even a little, you know, a sample proposal or an abbreviated one, you do get a sense of the writing as well. Yes. Right? And I'd like the author to introduce themselves. You know, why, why are they the person who is best qualified to write this book or why are they passionate about it or what is their expertise? So that connection between, you know, why are you the one to write this book? Absolutely. It's like it connects that voice and idea. Why is that voice connected to this idea? So in my experience that the really as as an author, that a relationship with the agent is a very, you know, it's a unique and special relationship. And there are lots of literary agents and lots of authors and and not every you know match is one made in heaven. But so what are the things that someone should look for in trying to choose the right agent or what you know, what what are the things in that relationship that matter? Sure. I mean, I think they should look for the same, some of the same things that I look for. The primary one of that would be expertise. You know, have they sold a bunch of cookbooks? Are they an expert in this category? What can they bring to you as an author that you might not be thinking about or knowing about? Whether that's, oh, a book just sold along these lines. I, you know, I think it might be tough to have a second one on this very hyper specific topic. Or, you know, this editor is really looking for a book on X, Y, or Z, you know, all of those sorts of things. People can dabble in cookbooks, I suppose, but I think it's helpful to have an agent who's really dedicated to the category, knows what comparative titles to help you, you know, choose, knows what publishers are going to offer and do, can help you manage, you know, hopefully you get an offer or some offers and help you manage, you know, the cash flow of what you're going to have to outlay for photographs, illustrations, recipe testing, whatever it is, or maybe a writer, who knows, you know, within the advance and the payout that the publisher is offering. So there are a lot of moving parts. You want, you want someone who can negotiate a contract with an illustrator for you and all of those sorts of things. All those things that, especially for a first time author, make your head spin. You don't even know they exist. Right. And you, and you want a guide. You want someone who's going to, you know, hold your hand and be there alongside with you. It's not for me. I mean, yes, I need to earn a living. I, you know, the commission is important, but it's not just about getting those checks from the publisher. It's about what can I do to help the author shine, you know, from the beginning and get the best possible deal. And then also what can I do along the way to make their life easier? You know, if they hate their cover and the publisher's insistent, how can I help mediate there? You know, especially having worked as an editor, I, I know it can be done and what can't be done. So I think it's a bit of an edge to be able to, you know, put that hat back on and say, okay, here's, you know, here's what we should ask for. If they can't do X, they can do Y. That's a great point about when the editor says no, you know that maybe it isn't a hard no or something. And I think 
editors are, are trying to, you know, they, they love authors, they love books, they're trying their best. Um, so as much as we can help them, it's great to have those close relationships, you can call someone up and get them excited about something or take their temperature on something. It's really helpful. Yeah, I think mediate is a really good word that you used it there. And, and, you know, relationship is really good to think of. Also, I'd be curious, this is a little bit more of your experience as an editor. Do you see many authors um, or work with many authors who are unrepresented, meaning working without agents? And is that changed at all? So as an editor, I did not work with a lot of authors who were not represented, not because I was opposed to the idea. I mean, I, I, again, I do think it's helpful to have someone for both sides. Obviously, the agent works for the author, but it's helpful to have that role of an agent to, to coordinate between the editor and the publishing house and the author. Um, so I wasn't opposed to it, but I just say there's something of a, how can I put it? Um, I think literary agents, especially respected ones in, in categories and genres, bring an expertise. And the fact that they have signed someone on makes me extra eager as, you know, made me extra eager as an editor to read that proposal. Um, it was sometimes harder for me to maybe get all the information I needed or take the leap of faith um, with someone who wasn't represented, or they also might not even find their way to me, or I would have so many of the projects that I just had to call them somehow. And as an agent, I can tell you that I've taken on a couple of clients whose first works were not represented and they did not, you know, no surprise here, did not get great deals from, you know, royalty rates to, to even owning the copyright and the IP to their material. You know, there, there are some folks who on their first book, you know, did it as a work for hire and, and don't earn any royalties. So the more copies of a book that sell, they're not getting anything else. But I mean, sometimes that's, you know, a step for someone to get an agent and get their second book and make things right. I would say a good agent earns their keep in terms of getting you a better deal from the advance and the royalty rates and escalators of royalty rates the payout and when you're actually getting the money and all those sorts of things. I mean, you know, little unsexy things in the contract can sometimes make a big difference when you can submit your option proposal, you know, stuff that some folks might not know they can negotiate. Right. Takes a village, takes a team. And I just see the agent as a very important part of that team of making the best book. I think so. Thanks. Yeah. And it's also what happens when something, you know, goes wrong. You, you know, as an author, you need more time to deliver something happened in your life and and you need more time. Um, You really hate that cover or your editor is going on parental leave. You've never heard from your publicist and your book is coming out in a few months. You know, those are things that it can be helpful to have someone help you navigate. Well, I really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. And I know it's going to be super helpful to the listeners. So, Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great one. Thanks, Molly. You too. Welcome back. I'm now joined by Kate Leahy, Kristen Donnelly, and Andrea Nguyen. I think I showed a little of my bias in my conversation with Rika about working with an agent, so I'd love to hear from each of you about your experience with agents. Something that stood out to me from that interview, her listing the three things that can help you publish a cookbook, and that is voice, idea, and platform and how really you need two of the three. And I've just never heard it put so succinctly because I know last time we did talk a bit about like, do you need a platform? And the answer is 
usually. But when the idea is strong and the voice is strong, there's potential to be able to do a, a cookbook. And I like that she says that. So I just wanted to put that out there. And then, yes, in terms of working with an agent, I have worked with an agent since the beginning of my career, and I have found it to be very beneficial. My agent has helped sell my own cookbook, but he's also helped me navigate the co-writing process whether it's with his clients or with other people's clients. And there are certain things where, you know, you could hire a lawyer to help you with the contract for sure. But just his knowledge of the business, of this specific business, I found to be really beneficial. And then sort of like therapist aspect of it, I, I do value. Yeah, no, that's, that's really true about what you were saying about having two of the three components there. Uh, you, you might have an, a, a chance. And one of the things I thought about, I think she said also single subject. So maybe if you have a strong voice and a strong idea, but you don't have a platform, maybe the best target is a single subject book. And by that, you're thinking, you know, Andrea, you have great success with single subject books like Pho, like the Bun Me book. And I've also done single subject. My current book right now is sort of a single subject book about easy ways to think about um, wine and food together. And I think you can build a platform off of success over time with single subject if you don't have that big platform to begin with. So I thought that was kind of like a, a nice little nod. Um, so you don't necessarily have to be a movie star or have a million followers on Instagram. However, she did make it clear that it does help to be known. <laughs> yeah, she's not going to take like it was like chicken and the egg thing. Molly, I mean, what did you did you get your question answered there? Not entirely. And I think, you know, rightly so. She was saying it all depends. And she used the word expertise quite a bit, both on the agent side and on the author side, that if an author has a deep expertise in a subject, that can become their platform. But what about you, Kate? You've worked with a number of different agents and you've worked without agents. And how have you navigated all of that? Well, I've navigated a lot of it very naively, but I've learned a lot in the process. I mean, when A16 came out in 2008, like I talked about in last episode, that was completely without an agent. We used a lawyer, I think it was the restaurant's lawyer, and they went back and forth with 10 speed. There's things in that contract that I would definitely change now, now that I know a little bit more, but they're, they're pretty minor things. Um, and also 10 speed was a smaller company at that point. Now Penguin Random House's, uh, their contracts uh, with authors are, there's just more things in there. And, and so one of the things that I've had to navigate being working with agents who haven't necessarily represented me is paying attention to that fine print. So even if you don't have an agent or you want to get an agent, it's really important. And I think Andrea would agree with me to educate yourself on what these publishing agreements what they have in them, what they sort of sound like and look like, what to look for yourself, whether that's the percentage of royalties that you're earning. And we can go into all of the nitty gritty in future episodes, but just there's a lot of ways to educate yourself about the publishing world that doesn't have to be strictly about cookbooks and just being comfortable with that language. So say with La Bouvette, I wrote La Bouvette, but it wasn't my agent who brought that book to me. It was a separate agent. And it was actually 10 Speed brought the idea to me because they wanted the book written. And then Camille Formant, her agent, came to me to make the deal happen. But I always knew that that agent didn't represent me. So I had to make sure I read all the fine print and be very careful that I wasn't getting a deal that would be really unfavorable or even make it hard to complete the book. So those are the things that I don't go about thinking that 
somebody else's agent is out to get me. <laughs> I don't think of it that way, but I'm also cautious. And when I wasn't working on an agent, um, I was doing a book and I think it was a lawyer was putting together the contract and the lawyer was not from the publishing industry. And I kid you not, there was a clause in this contract. It was basically a non-compete clause that I could never write another cookbook about California or Italian food because that would be competing with this book. And so if I hadn't caught that clause, I would have signed this this contract and had this most ridiculous non-compete clause. Yeah, maybe it wouldn't have been enforceable. But I do think, and this is getting into nitty gritty contract stuff, which I know is a little off topic, but when you have an agent that you trust, you don't have to worry about this stuff. But I still think it's, it's important for you to educate yourself on what's out there and what an agent is doing for you. They're thinking about all these potential pitfalls. I mean, can you imagine? Oh, yeah, no more books about California. Maybe I should just move to another state. You know, <laughs> And maybe I'll never write a book about California, but I want to have that option. That would be kind of ridiculous, right? Right. Uh, good thing you read <laughs> that. But that brings up so many points. And I think maybe we could talk a little bit about what an agent actually does. We've talked about representing and therapy and they take a commission, right? You know, let's talk a little bit about that. Kristen, what are some of the things beyond, you know, sounding boards or including sounding boards that an agent does for us? So one of the things that Rika mentioned is while working at Clarkson Potter, which is a New York City-based publisher, she very rarely accepted proposals from authors that did not have an agent. And she said that is partially because I don't know if she used this word, but you know, it's like a first, a first level of gatekeeper. She knows agents already have fairly high standards, whether those standards are, you know, commercial or they're looking at things like the writing, but it's it's already like a first set of eyes. And that is something she really values. So that is something I see is agents doing for us is kind of almost like it's a little bit of a stamp of approval. And at the same time, I understand where this is problematic for so many reasons, not to mention how do you find the agent, which we should definitely talk about. But who are agents and are they often people who went to Ivy League schools? Are they often white? So there are these sort of biases that can and do interfere with the process. I find it interesting that 10 Speed has a long tradition of working with authors without agents, especially, I guess, because of their indie roots. So that's just something that stood out when Rika said I, when she was an editor, almost never signed somebody without an agent, whereas it sounds like 10 Speed used to do that frequently and maybe still does. But yeah, that I guess that's one of the reasons that I like having an agent because it is somebody who's already there to vouch for my work. But I also acknowledge why that's problematic. That's a great point. That was actually something that um, stuck stuck out is that when she was an editor and even when she's an agent now, it's not that I can write this brilliant proposal, send it to her literary agency and hope to get noticed. It doesn't sound like that happens very often, if at all. It sounds like she's going out as an agent, uh, scoping out talent, people that she finds interesting and bringing them into the fold rather than people approaching her saying, hey, I have this brilliant idea for a book. Can you take a look? That seems like that's not quite how happens. But I think that there are different ways of going about this, you guys. And Kristen, you're absolutely right in terms of small indie houses like 10 Speed Press. When it was still indie before it was became part of Penguin Random House, they took unsolicited manuscripts and they worked with unrepresented authors, including me and a bunch of other people whom 
I, you know, call my friends. So that's a different way of getting your foot in the door. But again, you know, it depends, you know, on the idea and your particular perspective, your voice. And back then, you know, some of us had platforms and others didn't before the times of social media. But, you know, I think that there are possibilities out there. Someone like Rika from David Black, David Black Agency is one of the best agencies around, you know, but people can go and meet agents and pitch ideas and see if there's a match. There are ways that you can meet them in a professional setting, such as the International Association of Culinary Professionals, IACP. So you can go out there as an author who, you know, is not being approached by an agent and hustle. Speaking of hustle, Andrew, can we talk, you mentioned your relationship with 10Speed and among us, correct me if I'm wrong, but you do not work with an agent. You are you represent yourself directly. Correct. I had agents say to me that my ideas were good, but they couldn't sell me. So early on in my career, frankly, lost hope ever getting an agent because I thought they don't want me. So what can I do to represent myself? I have a business background. I My first job out of college was as a bank examiner. So I had to read like these tissue thin pages full of legalese and interpret them. So I wasn't afraid of legal issues. I wasn't afraid of contracts. I also wasn't afraid of arguing for my position. And that's the perspective that I came to it. And over the years, you know, I've built relationships with 10 Speed Press and other editors where I'm very honest and frank And I demand things. And if they want to keep me, then they're going to give me a fair deal. That's a different thing. You know, a lot of authors don't want to make those arguments for themselves because it's awkward to talk about money. And it's awkward to say, hey, you know, you're giving me the short end of the stick here and I don't like it. And sometimes you got to threaten a little bit, too. And that's what an agent does really well. So if you're uncomfortable doing that, then getting representation is a really fabulous thing. But an agent can open doors for you that as an author starting out, you know, that's what you need an agent for. If you don't know folks in the business who you can approach directly, an agent is very useful that way. I think another thing the agent is very useful is they know where your book might sell um, and different publishers publish different types of book and and, an agent can navigate that world. I go back to something, Kate, you said about doing your homework and studying and choosing to be represented. Sometimes I know for me is because I, I don't know if I was being uncomfortable or I didn't want to do the homework or I've always told myself I'm not very business minded. And so I sort of shy away from it. But I think in some ways I sell myself short, take advantage of my own privilege by, by choosing to do it that way. I've worked with an agent on all my books and you know, they take a 15% commission of whatever you earn, both when you get your advance and then if and when your book ever pays out and earns any royalties, they they earn off of that as well. Many, and Rika said this in her interview, that many agents have said and authors have said as well that I probably wouldn't have gotten the advance I got on my own because, you know, I was not raised to talk about money. I'm not good talking about money, you know, and I've never made myself learn that. Definitely pros and cons of working with an agent. You know, I guess the con would be they take 15% of your, but if they get you at least that much more in your earnings, 
And that's true. And I think one of the things, if you are coming at publishing and you're brand new, like Rika said, you know, you need that guide. Uh, you might not know what a good deal is. And say somebody gives you $5,000 to write a book of 100 recipes all about chocolate chips. I don't know. And you might think, oh, my God, somebody wants to give me five grand to write a book. That is amazing. But you're so excited. You don't factor in, oh, my God, I'm going to spend maybe $1,000 on ingredient costs because butter prices, egg prices, if I'm doing all these chocolate chips or cookies or something. And then uh, you might not factor in the time. Maybe this takes you six months working pretty diligently. So at that point, does that $5,000 make sense? Um, another thing Rika brought up that I'm going to pay more attention to also is um, the idea of IP, intellectual property, and who owns it. So if maybe this uh, publisher comes to me and offers me $5,000 to write this uh, chocolate chip, you know, 100 ways cookbook, and they'll give me $5,000 to do it, but then they own all the the copyright for, for those recipes. Well, is this really a good deal or is this pretty much a work for hire where basically if you do the math and divide, you know, 5,000 by 100, you're basically being paid a certain amount that's not that much per recipe. And that's it. You'll never make any more money from that. Uh, so those are the types of things that uh, an agent would look at that and say, that's not even worth considering. But if you're new to the space, you might not think through those details. So that's why I think even if you decide to go with an agent, you should just get a little familiar. Um, one of the things I recommend is going to Publishers Marketplace. And you can sign up for just a day where you can pay. It's expensive for a day, but you can pay $10 for a whole day where you can do a deep dive into who's acquiring cookbooks, what publishers are acquiring cookbooks. And sometimes they even give you an estimated amount of how much that book deal went for. It's 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 not specific, but it's sort of like if it's a nice deal, it's $40,000 $40, and under. If it's a very nice deal, it's $40,000 up to $100,000 or something like that. There's a whole key that they provide you with. But just spend a day, spend that $10, spend that time educating yourself on what the going rate is for books so that if you do, maybe you're somebody who a publisher has approached, you can gauge whether that's something that's even worth considering. Or if you at this point say, you can approach an agent and say, hey, a publisher has actually approached me because I have this 100 ways to use chocolate chips and my Instagram feed is blowing up. Uh, you know, maybe this is a good deal. And uh, or would you want to work with me on on putting together a proposal. I mean, these are these are things that as publishing evolves, I think anyone who's interested in it should take a little bit of time just to see how the back end works a little bit. We can put that in the show notes too, the publisher's marketplace, Absolutely. right? So, so we've talked a lot about how an agent can help you make the deal, get the deal, sell the book, navigate, negotiate your contract. So maybe, Andrew, if you don't have an agent, what do you do when you're doing a contract? Well, I just want to back up a little bit. I've talked to agents before, and one of the things that I ask them, well, what can you provide for me that I'm not already providing for myself? And the answer has been, well, I'm going to earn my 15% in the contract. I say, all right, what are you going to do for me after the book's sold? Are you going to help me sell copies? How are you going to help me sell more copies? Because I want you to keep earning that 15%. So those are also questions that I think that people should ask. Because, you know, initially getting a really great advance and royalty rates is really terrific. Well, advance is what the, the agent's going to go after, right? Because that's the commission that they're going to get. 
And the thing is that you as an author also need to be looking at the royalties, the escalator for the royalties. And I'm glad that Rika brought that up because that's an industry term in terms of graduating the royalty rates as you sell more copies. I learned about the escalator rate by talking directly and negotiating directly with my editor on a contract years ago. And so I was like, aha, there's this thing called an escalator. And I started throwing that term around and people are like, what? What is it? And I was like, yeah, well, you know, it's like you sell more books and then you're going to earn more money. The royalty rate changes. But anyway, you know, that 15% is forever. And I'm not saying people should go without an agent, but I'm just saying ask the right questions so that you make that author agent match well, because it is like Kristen points out, also your therapist. I'm sure my agent will be thrilled that that's what I'm saying. (laughs) He's like, please don't, please don't have my clients call and have one therapy sessions. (laughs) Although that's a great way to earn your 15%, right? Well, yeah, but um, no, I also realize like there is the bad guy aspect. So like you can kind of maintain this healthy, like positive professional relationship with your editor and the publisher throughout the entire process. But then when something comes up that you are unhappy with, Rika mentioned the cover, for example, the agent is the one that will go to bat for you. And, you know, Andrea, like all the credit to you, like you really don't mind having those hard conversations and sticking up for yourself. And I think that's awesome. And I think as I get older, I become more comfortable in that way. But I also I do appreciate having this like intermediary. He can also tell me sometimes like, all right, we should fight for this or, you know, let's just not choose this battle. So just to have that advice is really nice. Actually, I have a question for all of you. If my goal is to only write one cookbook, say maybe I'm a restaurant owner and my goal is just to have a restaurant cookbook and I have no desire to write more books after this one, I'm going to put all my eggs in this one book basket. Should I have an agent for that one book or is an agent better for thinking of a long term career in publishing where you want that ally, you want that guide um, consistently through your career? Of course, like anything, I think it depends because if you have a publisher chasing you, your restaurant owner, there's a publisher already chasing you. I want to do your book and you feel really good about that. Maybe you don't need an agent. Maybe you can work with a lawyer. That said, one thing an agent can do is shop your proposal around to a lot of different publishers and they have the relationships with the editors to know which editors might do your book the most justice. And not only would they shop it around and help you arrange meetings with publishers, they might do what's called an auction. They're basically taking multiple offers from publishers and pitting them against each other. So that's not a process I think you can really go through without an agent. And so if you're trying to get as much money as possible up front so you can produce the best book possible, because it costs money to produce a book, especially when you're a restaurant owner, if you have to pay a writer, if you have to pay a photographer, I think that's where the agent can be super beneficial. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, um, especially if you do have a book that could go to auction. And thanks for explaining what auction is. I mean, my dream would be to have a book that goes to auction someday. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds pretty fun to say anyway. Um, yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, one of the things 
things um, I think Rika mentioned also that I just wanted to point out was thinking about agents who come from editorial backgrounds versus uh, marketing backgrounds, or maybe she said she comes from an editorial background. I mean, do you think of it as like two different, you can either go with an agent who has that strong editorial background and can really help you craft craft a proposal, craft the idea, or you go with the agent who has that heavy hitting marketing background. Maybe they come from the marketing department at, you know, Random House or one of these big houses. And so they they are more suited to like, I'm going to get your book into all these stores across America or those kinds of things. I mean, is that something that also is worth questioning if you're you know, looking for agents, like what kind of agent do you need? Do you want someone who can work with you on the story? Or do you want someone who can just sell, sell, sell? You have enough confidence in yourself as a writer, as a creator that you are not looking for as much guidance. You want more guidance on like where this book is going to fit in the market. I would look at who else is in the agency. If it's a single proprietor agency, yeah. You know, you want to look at their talents, who they've represented. Um, if they've got an editorial background, I think that's really strong because then they can help you shape the proposal really nicely. And if they're in an agency, who else is, is in that agency? You can then also suggest to your agent, well, what about so-and-so? I mean, you know, it's like work it. They got to be working for you. So I would work their resources so that they can represent you in the best way possible. So as an author, I say, man, you have to be an activist author to get the relationship building going and also to get the best deal for yourself and your project in the short term as well as the long term. Yeah, I I agree. And I think you have more agency as an author in choosing your agent than you do your publisher, if that makes sense. Because your publisher, you're trying to find a publisher, but with the agent, you can interview them. You're hiring them, really, right? That is the relationship. They work for you. So personal history, my first agent, I had to change agents after my first book because I didn't do the due diligence we're talking about. I didn't really think about what I wanted or needed in an agent. And so I had a sort of a handshake agreement with a publisher And I felt that I needed an agent because I didn't know enough to represent myself and wasn't willing to do the work to figure out how to read a contract. So I had a friend who was a literary agent. She was not in the cookbook sphere. And so she represented my book for me and she did a great job. It was a great experience. But then when I, I think I mentioned the last episode, I really thought I was just writing one book and didn't think of a career. I wasn't thinking And so when I finished my first book and wanted to start thinking about a second book, I realized that she didn't have the capacity in the cookbook world to help me figure out what my next step would be. I couldn't engage her at that way. And so I had to do a really hard thing was basically fire someone I really cared about and valued her work. But I wanted to go with someone who really knew the cookbook sphere. So I would caution anyone choosing an agent to think long term before you make a choice. And just because your friend or your brother's cousin is a, is a literary agent, when you want to do your due diligence, as Andrea says, and find out, you know, what they do, who they work with, that sorts of things. How do you find an agent? We should talk about that. Like, what are tips you have when people say they're looking for an agent? What do you tell them? The one that I always say is you pick out some of your favorite cookbooks and read the acknowledgments. They're always right there. And if they're not, that might mean something. Right. That's a signal. Anybody else? 
Well, what you can do is you can make a list of all those people that you see in acknowledgments from a variety of different books and also look at different um, imprints. Don't just only look at the Clarkson Potter books or only look at 10 Speed because you will see trends or certain agents that sell to certain publishers more often. But just make a list of potential agents that you want to pursue and then spend that 10 bucks and go on a deep dive with Publishers Marketplace and look them up and see who they're working with. And you can get all the contact information on Publishers Marketplace. Not all agents have robust websites. Some of them like to be a little bit harder to find, but you'll find it there if they're listed. Um, And a lot of them aren't hard to find. You can Google their names and find their agency and read about them. And maybe if you're lucky, they'll have um, submission guidelines or at least guidelines on how how to make appointments. And if you don't find that information, then like Andrea mentioned, IACP, International Association of Culinary Professionals, you can maybe become a member and look up who is a literary agent who is a member in IACP through their directory and see if they're potentially going to a conference. I know um, several people actually who met their literary agent at an IACP conference. And I think meeting agents at conferences is it takes that... I think it's really hard to get to know people through email or through just a random email that comes out of the blue. If you see someone in person and you see them a couple of times, maybe it's not the first year at ICP or at another conference. Maybe it's the second year at a conference and you run into them again and you have a nice chat over coffee, even if it's not about work. It could just be that personal relationship that gets your face and who you are in um, top of mind. But I would say the other thing is um, look and see if they're on social media and follow them and see who they're following and um, see if you can figure out what they're looking for and maybe look at those hashtags and see if you're creating content that has those hashtags because agents are scouring social media for for interesting people to represent. Really good point that agents are looking for new voices. So yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If you have that idea and that voice. I think referrals too are just so powerful. So I mean, you guess you can like try to meet the agent or try to pitch the agent directly, but there's like your favorite cookbook author or a few of them and you can form authentic relationships with them, even through Instagram to start and then nurture that relationship and then maybe see if they would set up a just a time to meet over Zoom or in real life and talk to them about their cookbook publishing process and their agent and if they like their agent and, you know, maybe even broach like, would you ever be willing to connect me with your agent? I, I just feel like referrals from people who already know each other, it's, it's just so powerful. When I was choosing an agent the second time around, I went and interviewed because it made such a difference for me to be in the room with someone. And now, of course, you can do that, you know, over Zoom and things. But it brings a question I have for you guys about East Coast, West Coast geography, because we are split between the four of us. We're two on the East Coast and two on the West Coast. Do you think it matters where you live, where your agent lives? I think it depends on how much FaceTime you want with that person. And then how I would ask questions like, well, how often do you get to the East Coast? to meet with editors and how how are you keeping up with tabs with what publishers are are putting out there in you know my particular niche area and see if that's important for you you know so much of publishing happens on the east coast and so people need to be you know aware of how important those relationships are but i think nowadays especially as the pandemic has shown us people are all over the place and even people who work in publishing they don't necessarily have to be physically editing books in new york city they're living elsewhere i think that 
over time, we're, we're seeing that the geography doesn't matter as much. The other thing that people may want to do is if you're, you know, becoming friendly or, or nurturing relationships with an editor, ask the editor who their favorite agents are because they've got short lists, you know, and because you may not be comfortable, you know, approaching the editor with a proposal, but these folks may be able to guide you and they may not be accepting unsolicited proposal ideas. So, you know, also check out editors and ask for their advice because, you know, they're also looking for talent. We talked a lot about finding an agent, where you find an agent. Once you start working with an agent, some people have contracts with their agents. Is this correct? Um, I think some people do sign contracts and some people don't. Um, Kristen, maybe you could talk a little bit about what a contract is and how that works. Sure. To be honest, I don't know a lot about it generally. I guess I only know my personal experience, which is I do have a contract with my agent that I haven't looked at in years, to be honest. But I know that it does basically lay out that he gets 15% of the work that he sells on my behalf. I know agents, if they can, they like to have their author's in some kind of contractual relationship. Oh, I do know in the contract I had, there was some kind of clause about, you know, my agent potentially taking a percentage if he helped me like pitch for magazines. And I just had that taken out because it's just not something I would get help with. I I kept it exclusively for books. That's interesting. And then some people could work with multiple agents too and not have contracts. So there's a lot of different ways. You could do some work with agents, some without like magazine work that's not represented. Andrew, you talked about helping you sell the book. I'm thinking of the Lisa Eckes group right now. They seem to do this full package where they're going to help you with media. And it's, it seems to be a more full service agenting. This just goes back to doing your due diligence and, and finding out what services they offer and whether that is what you're looking for. And I would also say that it can be confusing out there. Um, I have done a lot of books with agents who don't represent me directly. So they represent the main, I don't, main character of the book, and I'm helping that main character write the story. And so I have usually an agent will then create a contributors agreement between me and the main author. And I have to be very careful with those contracts. Um, I usually do them myself so that my agent doesn't have to take 15% off of that because two agents taking off the pool, it just becomes very messy and also everyone makes less money. But with that said, I have to also understand that if I don't have an agent myself and I'm going into a contributors agreement, I cannot think of this agent, even though they might be very nice to me, as representing me. And that's sometimes a little gray area. This agent comes to you. They say, hey, we know that you're a really strong recipe writer. We need help on this book. Can you talk to my famous chef extraordinaire? He really thinks you'd be a great match. And maybe you really want to do this book and you think, this is great. This could be my big break. And then you look at the contract and you're like, okay, so, you know, we, we split this, this is the percentages I get, this all sounds great. But just always remember that the agent is, does not have your interest in heart, the agent has the client's interest in heart, the person who, at the end of the day, she is representing. So this doesn't mean that agents are out to get contributors who are not who they're not representing. It just means you have to do your own, you know, your due diligence. Um, and I did have one agent say, you know, this means that I don't represent you. <laughs> And so, it's thank like, yes, you. You know, so so just uh, you know, if 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 the way you're getting into publishing, which is the way I got into pub in, into writing cookbooks, is by 
working with a team to help them make their cookbook dreams come true, then uh, just know that you're, you're a cog in the wheel, but only you can have your back in those situations. And that's okay. Just be aware of it. I don't know. I think we've thrown a lot of information here <laughs> on top of a lot that Rika threw at us earlier. Um, future episodes, we'll get into more of the nitty gritty, what Rika referred to as the unsexy part of the business. But maybe it's a good time to do our, our little lightning summary and go around and just some tips or takeaways or things to think about so we don't leave everybody entirely confused on the topic of agents. What are some of the things that you would throw out for a first-time author that was considering whether or not or how to go about working with an agent? You know, even though I don't use an agent, I think that Rika's point, and I'm just going to say IVP, you can put on a you know tattoo if you want to, idea, voice, and platform. You know, have those at least two of those um, three items put together before you start talking about your idea. Awesome. I would say to think about what you not just what you want, but possibly what you need. And that might be getting really honest with yourself, because for me, I actually would like to like my agent and have somewhat of a personal relationship. But I have a friend who I remember he said he had that with an agent and ended up moving on from her because sometimes maybe she was too nice. And he ended up working with an agent who has like a bit of a bulldog reputation. And he said, you know, kind of scares him even. And he just said he felt like that's what he needed. He needed somebody who is going to like go to bat for the work and just take no prisoners. So write some things down. Like, what do I really need from somebody if I'm going to work with them in this way? Yeah, great. I think one of the things that she said that really stood out to me was um, it's not just about getting checks from a publisher. That should not be what an agent is doing for you. The, the agent needs to do more. That means being your guide. And it might be this agent is pretty much a partner in your career as it grows. And hopefully the agent will put you in the right place to make sure that you continue to grow in, in the field and continue to um, publish. That's a really good point. I think about, yes, it's the deal and it's the, the, the contract, the original negotiation, but it's the, the full term, as you were saying, the whole process. And working with an agent allows me to focus on the book, the content, the pages, the, the everything that's inside there. And I have someone that will take the brunt of the more businessy side of things and that, that, that will derail me. I know myself well enough that I would get derailed by the work of that. And so working with an agent allows me to just really zero down on that. Great. Wow. That was a lot. And I think next time we're going to talk about the proposal writing. And so we'll, we'll talk more about the role of an agent in that too. It's all agents all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, well, let's wrap up with our recurring segments. We've got a recipe writing tip. Anybody? You know, I always wonder, do you guys like put the main ingredient first in your ingredient lines? Because you know, like how we're supposed to in the United States write recipes so that the ingredients f are listed in accordance to usage. But sometimes people are like, well, if it's for a roast beef, you know, I want to see that roast beef at the top of the list. And so what do you guys do? Do you guys always like try to position that lead ingredient first? Or do you strictly adhere to the order in which the ingredients are used in the recipe? I actually try to write that first instruction line so that the main ingredient is listed first. So it is an order of use if I can do it, just because I do like to go in order of ingredients and I like to stay consistent through the recipes. But if there's a way that it's, it's really kind of weird when you lead with olive oil, salt and pepper, you know? So I think if I can find a way just 
maybe it's a quick rearranging of words to have the roast beef as the first ingredient and then go from there. I do it that way. I love that. I'm actually going to try to do that when I edit recipes because I, I always just follow how it's used. And I guess I'm so used to it that it doesn't feel weird to me to start with olive oil because I'm used to it just being like, this is how it works in the kitchen. You get your olive oil, you feed it, then you add whatever's next. But I love the idea of figuring out if there's a way to like say, tie, tie the roast beef or something up front so you can put that beef up top. You would heat the olive oil and season it with salt and pepper and then add roast beef to the pan, the recipe ingredients would then say olive oil, salt, pepper, meat. But Kate, your idea, you'd say the first step of the recipe would say, take the meat out of the refrigerator. And let it come to room temperature. Yeah. Bump the meat up to the top of the ingredient list. Good tip. Good tip. Cool. I love that. Speaking of cookbooks, anybody reading or cooking from lately? I got a quick one. Um, so it's from Roughage by Abra Barons. And it's uh, a book that really takes you through a ton of different ways to cook produce. And, you know, sometimes we try to write recipes that aren't recipes, just ways to teach people to be more intuitive cooks. Like Molly, you're the pro at this. And one of the things she does with um, greens is that she has this very simple recipe that is pretty much a recipe without a recipe for cooking any kind of sort of braising green. And one of the things I always did with braising greens was I would start with the aromatics and then add the greens and then add any kind of liquid and, and get it going there. What she does instead is you add whatever oil you want to use and it can be any flavor profile, really. I mean, she uses olive oil, but why not coconut oil, um, neutral oil? It, it doesn't really matter. You put the greens in there and you stir the greens down and then you add all of your aromatics at the same time. So say sliced garlic, chili flake, and then she adds wine, but I just do it with water. And you get that flavor of the garlic that I'm always looking for without having it to hit the oil first. So you never burn your garlic. It's so simple. And I kind of thought, why haven't I been doing this? <laughs> so that would be my quick tip. That's great. We'll put that up in the show notes. Whew, so much to think about. Looking forward to the next conversation. Me too. Ditto. Well, I'll see you guys next time. All right. Thanks for listening to Everything Cookbooks. If you have questions or comments, you can find us on Instagram at Everything Cookbooks or send a message through our website, everythingcookbooks.com. Thanks to our editor, Abby Circatella. If you have a few seconds to spare, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help more people find the show. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.